Well, I grew up in an atheistic home. No faith, no Bible, no Jesus. None. But I encountered Jesus when I was 15 years old. Before I was a Christian. Let me describe him to you. He had red hair. Remember when guys used to do perms? He had a big, bushy, red hair. He drove a Volkswagen Beetle. When I encountered Jesus, that's what I saw. He was a college student. His name was Doug. See, my sister Gretchen had become a Christian, and she was going to a church that had a youth group. And she tried to get me to go to the youth group. I didn't want to. I wasn't interested, pushed back. But after a time, she wore me down. They were putting on a really fun event that seemed interesting. I went to it. And this guy, Doug, was there. And in the eyes of Doug, in the life of Doug Drainville, and in his humble service, I saw Jesus before I was a Christian. You know what he did? Got to know me a little bit. I was 15, couldn't drive. He had this cool Volkswagen Beetle. And he said to me, hey, if you ever need a ride anywhere, just call me. I'll drive you there. This is Uber or Lyft before there was Uber or Lyft. This was, this was people driving to your house. And in those days, and, and most of you remember this, if you had to call somebody to reach them, they had to be by a phone. And a phone was always connected to a wall with a wire. Remember those days? Right? But, but if I could get a hold of Doug, he would get in his car in Westminster... He would drive down to Huntington Beach where I lived, a 20-minute drive. He would pick me up. He would drive me wherever I wanted to go. He'd drop me off. And then after I was done, if I could get a hold of him, he'd take another 20-minute drive, pick me up, drive me home, and leave. Why? Why was this college student spending almost an hour, you know, hour and a half driving around a selfish, non-Christian Surf kid. Well, when we were in the car driving, and if you've ever been in a Volkswagen Beetle, they're not real big. <laughs> Even if you're in the back seat, you're still kind of in the front seat. It's tiny. But when we drive around, Doug would talk about three things. He would talk about sports. He loved sports. He would talk about Lisa, his girlfriend, who now is his wife, and they've been in ministry together for over 40 years. And he would talk about Jesus. You see, he had met Jesus about two years earlier. He also came out of a non-believing home. But he had met Jesus, and he was changed. So we would drive, and he'd talk about Lisa, and he'd talk about sports, and he'd talk about Jesus. And he would shine the light of this Jesus who he had met, who had changed his life, who had brought him joy and hope and love. He would just talk about his life. And Jesus was part of his life. And in those times driving around, as Doug, who was also volunteering for about 15 hours a week at the church with the youth. He was a college student. It wasn't his job. He volunteered about 15 hours a week at Garden Grove Community Church. Just pouring into the lives of selfish kids like me. I look back. Can I tell you something? It's embarrassing to say this. I don't know if I ever said thank you to him for driving me. I know I never offered him gas money. I was a selfish, non-believing kid. And he kept showing up. And I saw Jesus in him before I saw Jesus in Jesus. Are you following me? You know what I'm talking about? Because you've seen people like that who, who just shine the light of Jesus. 
Today we're talking about what it means to live a life of humble service. Uh, you're in the midst of this series that really has, has a couple of big ideas about what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. One of those ideas is that we don't travel alone. If you're following Jesus, there's always somebody who's taking your hand and helping you grow in your faith. Always. There's always people that are kind of helping you along to grow in faith. Even as, as I get older, I'm now almost 60 years old. But I have two retired pastors that I've asked, will you take my hand and help me grow in faith? You want to know why? I'm still trying to learn to become more like Jesus. I'm not there yet. Can I let you on a little secret? Neither are you. Right? We need people that take our hands and help us grow in faith. We need to tend to our own spiritual lives. We need to take the hand of children, grandchildren, neighbors, friends, people our age or older that are younger in faith. We need to take the hand of others and help them grow in faith. So while someone's helping us grow, while we're taking care of our own spiritual growth, we're helping somebody else grow. And you know what else we're doing? We're teaching them how to do it with someone else. Because that's the way Christians grow. Amen? I'm going to give you a C- minus on that amen. I'm going to try that again. Amen? Amen. amen. That's the way Christians grow. Hand in hand. And then we grow to be like Jesus. So he taught us to be biblically engaged, to grow in the scriptures. You can't read the Gospels and miss Jesus' love for the Word of God. He taught us how to passionately pray. He taught us how to grow in community. All the things that we're talking about over this eight-week series, it's just the way Jesus lived. And when we become more and more like Jesus, the world sees Jesus before they see Jesus as we live like Jesus. And we get to shine the light of Christ into our world. So I want to think together about how Jesus really showed us humble service, how we become humble servants, and how our humble service, like Doug's did for me, can shine the light of Jesus into our world. So first, the staggering reality of God's servant heart and actions. The God that we worship is a God who serves. Emmanuel, God with us. Think about the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, a familiar passage. This is actually the Christmas account. This is the Christmas account from John's perspective. Here it is. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's John's Christmas account. Emmanuel, God with us. You know what I call that? Humble service. Who leaves a palace to live in the slums by their own choice? I'll answer that question. Nobody. Who leaves the glory of heaven? To be born in the stench of a manger. To bring love and grace to our broken world. Jesus. From the very beginning, the incarnation, the coming of God into human history is humble service. And then Jesus lives for three years with no sin. And, and during those three years, as, as he, as, as he, once he starts his public ministry, uh, from the time he's 30 to 33, he, he ministers to people. He cares for the broken, the forgotten. He cares for the wealthy, the insiders, the outsiders. He cares for everybody. But Jesus serves and serves and serves for three years. And then, at the Last Supper, in John's version of the Last Supper, we see Jesus do something that we don't read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But it's there. If, to get the whole picture of the life of Jesus, you really need all four of the Gospels together, right? And so John gives us a, a window into the Last Supper that we don't get in the other, other Gospels. So if you have your Bibles, you can look with me at John chapter 13. And as I look at this, if you open to John 13, just keep your Bible open there. It'll also be on the screen behind me. But listen to these words and get a picture of how God has come among us. 
He's now lived, he's grown up into adulthood, he started his public ministry, he served for three years, and now he's around this table knowing that the cross is looming just ahead of him. John 13, beginning verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast, the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that. Jesus loved you. He loved me all the way to the end. Verse 2. The evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now listen to this. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. Pause there for a minute. Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he came from. He knew where he was going. Do you understand that humble service is not something that comes out of weakness and uncertainty? Humble service comes out of strength and confidence. Do you know who you are? Do you know that you're a beloved child of God? Do you know that he's made you? He loves you. He gave his life for you. When you know that, you can serve with humility. Why? Because I know who I am. I know who he's made me to be. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing. He took on the garb of a servant. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. One by one by one, Jesus goes around the table and he washes their feet. Humble service. In the ancient world, and you've heard sermons on this in the past, there were lots of servants, lots of people that worked in that vocation, and Jesus dressed like and acted as a servant in that moment. Now, can I tell you something about washing feet that you may not have thought of before? You can't wash people's feet standing up. You ever thought about that? You can't. Why? Because their feet are on the ground. So what is Jesus? Emmanuel, God Almighty with us. What does he have to do to wash their feet? The Lord of glory kneels down. The one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That Lord Jesus kneels at their feet and one by one by one he washes their feet. He gets to Thomas who's going to doubt him. And what does Jesus do? What's he do? Washes Thomas's feet. He gets to Peter who would deny him three times. Jesus kneels down and he washes his feet. They have a little discussion. You can read it in, in the passage, but they have a little discussion, a little interesting debate, and then he washes his feet. Jesus gets to Judas, who would betray him. And the Lord of glory kneels down at the feet of Judas and washes his feet. One by one by one. And if you had been there, if I had been there, he would have washed our feet too. We know that because he died on the cross for us. He went to the final, ultimate act of service. When we look at Jesus, we look at the one who was a humble servant. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, we read the mission of Jesus. Jesus gives a self-declared mission. Anytime in the Gospels where Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, that was his favorite self-designation. When, when he would talk about the Son of Man, he meant he himself. And so in, in Mark 10, 45, we read these words. For even the Son of Man... 
did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came not to be served. If anyone could have entered human history and said, hey, everybody, serve me. It was God in human flesh. But he didn't. He came not to be served, but to serve, even to the point of giving his life as a ransom. That's the heart of Jesus. And, and you know what it means to be a disciple? It means to follow Jesus, right? So he looked closely at how he lived, and he served. Jesus came to this world to heal the broken. He came to free those in bondage. He came to serve the unworthy. That's us. He came to die to give us life. Jesus came to lay his life down. That was his mission. That was his purpose. That was why he came. And then, and then, so, so, so Jesus dies on the cross. He pays the ultimate act of service. The soldier thrusts the spear in his side. The water and the blood come out. He's dead. For three days, he's in the tomb. And after three days, because Jesus had power to lay his life down and take it up again, and nobody else had power over him, after three days, he rose again in glory. And then, in this time we're in right now, in the, in the, the church here, from his resurrection before his ascension, the risen Christ shows up and interacts with people. Right? And, and in John chapter 21, I love this. Jesus is now risen. In John 21, he encounters the disciples. They're out fishing. He asks them if they've caught anything. They, Peter realizes who it is, jumps in the water, swims to the shore. When they all finally get to the shore with, with a boat full of 153 fish that they've caught, they had had a bad night, no fish, and then the last minute Jesus says, throw your net here, as Jesus liked to do, and boom, all the fish swam into the net. They finally make it to the shore. And what has Jesus done for them? They've been out fishing all night long. You ever been out fishing all night long? You're tired, you're weary, and you're hungry. And when they come out of the boat to the shore, you know what's waiting for them? Breakfast. Fish cooked and bread. Question for you. Who made breakfast? Who prepared the breakfast for them? Jesus. The resurrected Jesus Christ makes people breakfast. Think about it. Isn't that crazy? He's the Lord of glory. He's risen in power. He's cooking fish and bread. Or maybe, poof, I don't know. But he's risen. He's Jesus. He didn't do that kind of stuff before, but after he rose, he did some interesting stuff, walking through into rooms that were locked, that kind of But he prepares and serves breakfast. And then, what's Jesus doing now? What is the... Now, so, so then Jesus finally ascends to the right hand of the Father. He ascends back to heaven. So what's he doing now? Listen to these words from Romans 8, 34, and then you answer for me what Jesus is doing now. Here we go. This is one of the things Jesus is doing. Romans 8, 34. Jesus Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He's at the right hand of God, the risen, ascended Jesus. And what's he doing? He's praying for you. And he's praying for me. This is our Lord Jesus. He is a servant. Someone say amen. 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 Got it. That was good. You're not turning to Baptists. You're okay. (laughs) 
Pastor Trent, a good hearty amen. We can go with that, right? We're good here. We're good here. So, so, so the first part of our journey, if you're a follower of Jesus, is you just look at Jesus. You study his life. You study his death. You study his resurrection. What's he doing now? And, and a Christian, a disciple, becomes more like Jesus. Jesus served. What does that mean? That means to grow as a disciple is to increase each day in service. If you want to grow as a disciple, every day of breath that you have, give one more day to serve like Jesus in his name with his love. And Jesus was crystal clear about this. It's not like it's a mystery. It's not like, well, are you just making that up? Is that the deal? Jesus, in John chapter 13, after he washes their feet, sits back at the table. They continue in the conversation. I'm going to pick it up in verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he, Jesus, put, his, put on his clothes, returned to his place, and he asked them a question. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, community church, brace yourself. This is the word of God. These are the words of Jesus. You also should wash one another's feet. Is that unclear? If you get the point, say, I get the point. If you're not sure, say, I'm not sure. Okay, we get the point, all right? He says, okay, you also should wash one another's feet. Jesus says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You will find blessing in serving others. When Doug Drainville drove me around in his Volkswagen Beetle, I think he found blessing, even though I was very self-centered. Because he got to see me come to faith in Jesus through his life, through his humble service. So what does a servant life look like? What does it look like to live a life as a servant? I just want you to kind of quiet your heart and think about your life. And I'm going to give you a few thoughts. But it does nobody any good if you just sort of listen to the pastor talk. You need to ask yourself, does this reflect me? So will you dare to just listen, not for, you know, kind of church listening time. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. What does it look like to live a life of a servant? It's about where we sit. It's about where we sit. When we walk into a situation, do we try to find the best spot? Or do we take the place of humility? It's about noticing real needs in your neighborhood, in your family, around Zealand, our community here, right? I lived here for 20 years in West Michigan. There's so many needs. Do you notice the needs? And when you see a need, if the Holy Spirit stirs your heart, do you meet that need humbly? Humble service. It's about cross-carrying. Will I count the cost? Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, just take up the cross every day and follow me. Will we count the cost to serve others? It happens in our home. Humble service should happen right where we live. If you're in a retirement center, if you live with family, wherever you are, to say, how can I serve with humility? I had an experience years ago. I was at, at Zion Church in Granville, and it was during the big promise keepers time. And a bunch of men went on a bus from Zion Church to the Silver Dome. And we went to a promise keepers event. And at the end of one of the evenings, uh, they said, we want everyone to kneel down. And if you're kneeling at the Silver Dome, there's, it's a messy place. But you know, we all got on our knees. 
And they said, we want, if you're married, would you pray and identify one way you can serve your wife? All men there. So I prayed and God put something on my heart. We're driving back on the bus from this event. And one of the guys says, hey, pastor, let's have some people share what they decided they're going to do to serve their wife for accountability. So yeah, what did a couple of you share? And one guy says, oh, I decided I'm going to give my wife three massages. And one of the guys says, is that for you or for her? <laughs> and another, another, guy, another guy says, I decided I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, clear. My wife doesn't like to unload the dishwasher. I'm going to unload the dishwasher for a week. And so people started sharing different things that they were going to do. Somebody says, well, Pastor Kevin, what did you decide? And I said, I think I might have overshot. So what do you mean? I said, well, when I was praying, I made a commitment that I would make the bed for the rest of my married life. That was my commitment. And a couple of guys go, oh, like that's, you overdid it, right? Now on our bed, you have to understand, on our bed, when you make the bed, you, have to, you do all the right, you pull up the sheet, you pull up the blanket, you pull up the quilt, but then you got to put, then there's three, three pillows that are the pillows you can use. Then there's two big pillows that apparently you're not allowed to use, I've been told. And then there's two medium-sized pillows that you can't use. And then there's two smaller pillows that you can't use. And there's one little fancy middle pillow that changes periodically that you can't use. So here's what I figured out. I did the math this morning, okay? I've sorted, arranged, and fluffed over 116,800 pillows <laughs> since that day. But I've never regretted it. Because every morning, the first thing I do is I'm reminded I'm a servant. Kevin, you might get up and preach to people. You might do ministry in different places. But what you are is the guy who makes the bed and fluffs the pillows. That's who I am. Because I want to be like Jesus. And the more we're like Jesus, the more the world can see Jesus in our lives. What does a servant life look like? It's a neighbor thing. We recognize that our neighbors have needs. And we say, how can I help you? How can I serve you? How do we share the things we have in our home with our neighbors? With the love of Jesus. How do we help our neighbors when they're in need? That's part of what it means to be a servant. Just living out a life of following Jesus. It's connected to your church family. There are opportunities to serve in this church. I've seen too many people who say, you know, I've served for enough years. I'm retired from serving. If you want to know if it's time to retire from serving, just do this. <laughs> I have a pulse. It's time to serve. Can I get an amen? amen. That was pretty good. Oh, thank, thank you, sweetie. That was a great amen over there. I heard your voice jumping right out of that. If you have breath, if you have life, it's still time to serve. So here's a question. How does humble service open the doors of heaven? How does living as a humble servant open the doors of heaven? I can tell you this. When Doug Drainville drove me around in his Volkswagen, when I met him, I thought, this is, he's an old guy. He was 19. But I was 15. And he cared for me. He listened to me. He talked to me. He told me his stories of sports and Lisa and Jesus. And through him, through his life and witness, driving me around in his car, I was led to the foot of the cross to receive Jesus. I believe that humble service can change the world if we do it in the name of Jesus. 
In Matthew 5, 14 to 16, there's this very interesting passage. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching, and he says this. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it up on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now listen to this, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds. They're not secret. They're public. That they may see your good deeds and do what? And glorify your Father in heaven. See, Jesus warned the Pharisees, don't do stuff in front of others if it's to show off who you are. But if you do something in front of others to show off who he is, that's living for Jesus. Our good deeds should bring glory to our Father in heaven. And so Doug Drainville drove me around in his Volkswagen and shined the light of Jesus. The church I serve, when COVID hit, we have a food pantry and a clothing closet. We serve a lot of people in our community. Where I live, there's neighborhoods like Pebble Beach, Carmel, Pacific Grove, Monterey, some of the wealthiest, nicest cities in the world. Expensive to live, tough to live there. But right next to that is Seaside, and over here is Salinas. And there's deep needs, all mixed and mingled all together. All right there. And, and, and so we have the food pantry and a clothing closet. We were serving about 2,000 people a month in our clothing closet and our food pantry. 2,000 a month. We track every person. But during COVID, we started serving 10,000 a month. Men, women, and children, 10,000 a month. And every person who came for food or clothes, we would offer prayer. Can we pray for you? 73% said yes. How do I know that? We track it all. We want to know. We offered Bibles in English and Spanish to anybody who wanted a Bible. Not a crummy little paper Bible. Nice leather Bible. And I really, we, wanted, we gave out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Bibles. While we served, we were shining the light of Jesus. Humble service reveals the heart and the presence of Jesus. When we serve with humility, we show the heart of Jesus. We show the, show the presence of Jesus through our lives. The light shines and his grace is shared. Humble service causes people to ask, why? Why would you do that? Why would you serve that way? Some of you know the story of the, this, this couple I'm going to tell you about. Uh, two of my heroes of the faith, uh, Richard and Sabina Wormbrand, or Wormbrand. Uh, and this, is there a picture of them? Are we going to put a picture of them? Did I have that in my notes? There you go. Here's this couple. This couple served Jesus in Romania in a time when communism was coming in and, and, and through the movement of not, Nazism around the world. If you don't know their stories, look them up online. Go to the, go to the Voice of the Martyrs website and find out. As a matter of fact, the person who did, made a movie about each of their lives uh, lives right here in the Holland, Zealand area. Uh, John Grotersk. And he's actually grew up in, in, in the Reformed Church. And uh, he's told their stories in beautiful ways, more than I can. But Richard, uh, he spent 14 years in prison for Jesus. Three of them in solitary confinement. He knew if he kept preaching Jesus and serving his community by bringing the gospel, he knew he would be thrown in jail. And he knew when he was in jail, they would take his Bible away. He also knew that there were 366 verses in the Bible about not fearing. So he memorized all 366 so that when he was in jail, he would have a verse a day to keep his heart from going to fear. He got to go through those verses 14 times. His wife was thrown in jail for three years. 
the Nazis came in to where her family lived and devastated that community. And her parents, Sabina Wernbrand's parents, two sisters and one brother were killed by the Nazis in Nazi concentration camps. But when people who are trying to flee from the Nazi kind of ideology needed to be protected and taken care of, Sabina Wormbrand offered to serve them and help them. The very kind of people who had devastated and killed her family. Because when you follow Jesus, you serve whoever Jesus puts in your path. If you get a chance to hear their stories, read their stories, um, you'll, you'll want to. They started a ministry called The Voice of the Martyrs to help people in places of deep persecution. And Richard lived to be 92 years old. And Sabina lived to, learned, lived to be 87 years. After 14 years in prison with daily beatings. Daily beatings. He lived to be 92. In his journal, he wrote these words. It was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of pe- preaching. I think when's the last time we were beat for our preaching, right? But some of these preachers and Christians decided to pay the price. So here's what he wrote. So we accepted there the communist terms. It was a deal. We preached and they beat us. We were happy preaching. They were happy beating us. So everyone was happy. Wow, right? Service that presses in even in times of persecution. So would you quiet your heart for a minute and just kind of put your heart in a place of prayer. If it helps to bow your head and close your eyes, you can do that. You don't have to close your eyes to pray, but, but if it helps, you just quiet your heart. And let me ask you a few questions. Will you offer humble service in your home and make your home a lighthouse of the presence of Jesus? Will you say, Lord God, make my home a place where service comes naturally and reflects your presence, not just to my family, but to my neighbors. Will you bring humble service to your workplace? If you're in the workforce still, if you work, will you bring humble service to the place you work? And if you do, every day becomes a mission trip. Another question. Will you bring humble service to your play? What do you do for fun, for recreation? And will you bring humble service to those places in the name of Jesus? If you're a golfer, offer to rake somebody else's sand trap after they get out because they still have a lot of work to do because they hit to the other side of the green in a different sand trap. And you just say, let me rake this one for you. Will you hang around and serve if you're part of a club or a social group? How can I help? What can I do? And when people ask you why, you say, do you really want to know? If they say yes, you tell them about the one who served you who gave his life for you, who would wash your feet and theirs too. And one more question. Will you bring humble service to community church? Will you say, Lord, this place is a lighthouse. This place brings the love and the grace of Jesus to this community. And as long as I have a breath, as long as I have a pulse, I will serve you in and through this church, your family, your people. Oh, Jesus, we look at you, and you washed feet. 
Had we been at that table, you would have washed our feet. Jesus, if you washed Judas's feet and Thomas's feet and Peter's feet, you would have washed our feet too. And in a sense, on the cross, you did more than that. So we pray that we would grow as humble servants. And people would notice it. And as we do, not just in the church, not just in our home, but all around this community and all around the world, oh, Jesus, may your people count the cost and serve with humility. And when people ask us why, why would you drive me all around and never ask for gas money? Why would you help and serve? Why would you mow my lawn? Why would you rake the sand bunker on a golf course? Why would you, why would you serve in any way, shape, and form in a selfish world? May we simply explain that we are following the one who left the glory of heaven and came to a stable, who washed feet, who prepared meals for hungry fishermen, who still intercedes for us. And may our humble service point the world to you, Jesus, the one we learned it from. And now, Jesus, as we continue to worship, may we worship as people passionate to give you praise. Continue to meet with us in this time, we pray in Jesus' name.